the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. BBC Essex. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Lucy Chamberlain sitting in for Ken this week and coming up on the podcast I'll be answering your garden questions on all things from the burnham to potatoes, roses and amaryllis. I'll also bring you some tips for things you can be getting on with in the garden this week plus our Plant of the Week feature all exclusive to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. This is BBC Essex. Let's start then with the plant of the week, which is the ornamental cherry. I've been driving around the Essex roads lately and in every front garden I see these trees flowering their socks off. They really do deliver, especially at this time of year. There are so many different varieties to choose from. I can't say I have a particular favourite, but Amanagawa, Shurifugan, they all have generally Japanese-style names um, because they are so popular in that part of the world. Um, but as I say, in, the, in our gardens, they do look stunning at this time of year. They're absolutely draped with blossom. Uh, a lot of the single flower varieties, the bees absolutely love, so they're really valuable for pollinators too. If you want to get one in the ground, then planting one now is, is absolutely perfect for them. They're quite shallow-rooted, so they don't really like a waterlogged soil. They prefer one that's more free-draining, and they prefer f- full sun because that will allow them to really develop lots of flower buds and then flower in the spring spectacularly. They don't need an awful lot of feeding. They tend to look after themselves. And pruning, I'm going to confess here, I didn't think that you could actually hard prune a cherry and it would come back. But my parents did this uh, three years ago. My dad's a farmer and he tends to prune things with a chainsaw because the cherries had got too big. And I thought, oh my goodness, Dad, what have you done? But I have to say, hats off to them, the cherries have come back. Um, It's taken a few years, so if you do have a mature cherry in your garden and you want to renovate it, you can do so. And the time to do that would be now. Maybe not using a chainsaw, maybe using an ordinary saw. Um, But yes, they do actually respond well to renovation if they need to. Otherwise, you tend to leave them alone when it comes to pruning because they have a lovely arching vase-like habit which if you prune it can be spoiled the bbc essex gardening hour with lucy chamberlain this is bbc essex still to come on the bbc essex gardening hour podcast i'll bring you some top tips on things you can be doing in the garden this week but now let's hear what you've called me about we start with even harlow oh good morning lucy um I found or discovered that um, the borders of my, you know, garden mm-hmm. have got lots of um, red root, red leaved or red stemmed rather, fern-like leaves, uh, and it's smothering everything. So I just wondered, you know, the best way to treat it because oh, I don't okay. really want to dig up, you know. Yeah, so it's an, it's an established border with plants in it, and you've got a, 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 a sort of fern-like weed growing all around yeah. them and it's becoming very invasive oh eve right yeah. so uh, you've got a bit of a task on your hands um are you happy to use herbicides like roundup or tumbleweed would that be okay yes yeah yeah 
Yeah, I think that's what I would recommend. If it's if this weed, it sounds like it could be something like an oxalis or something along those lines, um, which is a little bulbous plant that then self-seeds and spreads and very quickly will form a carpet of foliage. So um, what I would do is wait for the weed to put quite a lot of leaf on. I know that sounds counterproductive, but you need more leaves to get more chemical into the plant. So wait for it to leaf up, give it another couple of weeks or so, and then get some Roundup or some Tumbleweed and apply that carefully to the weed. But when you do so, just put a bucket or some cardboard against your garden plants so that the weed killer doesn't touch those. Ah, uh, this is a problem, you see, because it's in amongst sedum, you know, the... Ah, uh, yes. So it's, it's going to be a problem, but... Yeah, um, you could put some pots, I mean, I've done this before in big borders that I look after, you can put flower pots over the, the sedum that you want to protect. And if little bits of it get damaged, that's not the end of the world, as long as the main sedum plant isn't... isn't um, contacted with the glyphosate you'll be okay so just some flower pots or some plastic sheeting and then once the spray has been applied to the weed you can take the cover off because as soon as the spray is dried it's not going to travel to the sedum right. so it's just a, ca a case of being a little bit dexterous when in your border <laughs> all, right. Thank you. all right good luck with that okay um so that was uh, eve we're going to uh, speak to Zena from whitham now hi Zena. hello hello hi how can i help you uh, yes, I'm going to plant some seed potatoes today, Nadine. Lovely. And for the, I cannot remember what earth I've got to use. Oh, right. So are you going to plant going these? They're going in bags. I'm going to say they're going in bags, Zena. Yeah, so yeah. Um, potato, growing potatoes in bags is a really useful way if you haven't got lots of space in the garden to grow spuds. Um, and you could use like a, just an ordinary multi-purpose compost. That would be absolutely fine. Um, don't worry about something like, you know, John Inners, that would be expensive. That's exactly, yeah. That yeah. is exactly what I wanted to know. Have I got to go for something like John Innes or no. can I buy just an ordinary multi-purpose? You can do this, the latter, Zena. You can go for the ordinary multi-purpose, okay? Oh, that's lovely. Thank you very Great. much. Off to the shops. Bye, <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Um, like I say, we've got loads of calls this morning. It's lovely that you're calling up. Do give me a call. It's 0800 4041. We're going straight to Rose in Canvey Island. Hi, Rose. How can I help? Um, I've got some seeds that I put in on the 22nd of February. Uh, tomato seeds. Yes. And they just, uh, I had three show, that's all. Is oh, it right. because of the cold weather? They're in a cold greenhouse. Right. Okay. So did you have a propagator giving them any heat at all? Or is it literally just sown in the in the greenhouse in the cold? I haven't given them any heat at all. Yeah, I reckon that might be... Why, um, get my teeth in this morning. That might be why, Rose. Um, tomatoes are tender and I've been germinating some, but I've had them in a propagator set at between 15 to 18 degrees. They really do need some heat. But don't worry, you can sow some more now. It's not too late. But I would sow them maybe indoors in the warmth on the windowsill uh, rather than in the greenhouse because you just yeah, need I've some heat for them. For 12 years I've done the same thing and it's yeah. never happened before. You know... I know, I think we've had such a cold... We've had such a cold spring rose that we, there's been no... Um, major heat source for your greenhouse so because like I said the tomatoes they do need some warmth to germinate well so as I say have, a, have another go sow some more but um, you might find that now things are warming up with the sun coming out fingers crossed in the next week that the greenhouse is actually warm enough and you can then get much better germination rate oh lovely thank you All right. very much good, yes, good luck with you. that okay my pleasure um, Wendy in Holbridge you've got uh, a clematis tell me about that 
It's a winter beauty. I was given this as a very small plant um, autumn time when it was quite cool, so I didn't put it outside. Mm. It's grown enormously. I've repotted it once or twice. But, yeah. um, it has grown. It's had a stick which has gone up and come over the top. Oh, so all um, is going well. <laughs> yeah, I want to put it outside. Yes. Now, is it, uh, it's been outside for about two weeks now in approximately the position where it will be planted. Yeah. So I'm... Um, it's, it's got a lot of growth on it. Do I leave all the growth on or do I trim it back a bit? I think if it's already nice and bushy and healthy, I wouldn't worry about trimming it back. I think if the clematis was leggy, then you would be right to want to prune it back and try and encourage it to bush out. But because it sounds like it's actually growing really, really it's, well... It's gone up terrifically. It's just yeah. about two or three buns going up and they've, they've come back down again because I couldn't put it any higher. Great. Yeah, yeah. I say, I, you, and you've, you, what we call you've hardened your plant off. You've had it outside for a fortnight, so it will be acclimatized to yes, it the weather. Quite happy yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, I, I, are you wanting to, to put plant, it in the pot sorry. or in the? So I was just going to say, are you going to plant it into a pot or into the earth or what are you? No, what I are you want thinking? to plant it into the earth, and it is very yeah. wet. I've got on clay soil. I know they're good soils, but if it's very clay, it's still I soggy. can dig quite a big hole. Yeah, And I've got to plant it deeper, haven't I? You do. With any clematis, the advice is to plant them slightly deeper because if yeah. the stems get raised off by... There's a fungal disease called clematis wilt, uh, which attacks at soil level. So if you plant them deeper, the plant has the ability to re-sprout from a few inches below the soil. That's why they're planted deeper. Don't go majorly deep because on the clay, and like you say, with this wet weather, the, the clematis could suffer from waterlogging. And I think that's what we've got to just talk about yes. now. With, yeah. with When you're improving that soil, Wendy, make sure you add in um, rather than just digging the planting hole dig a nice big area say at least you know 18 inches square and add to that lots of lovely compost or organic matter or composted bark something that's really going to open up that clay and just make sure that the clematis doesn't get waterlogged right i've got a, quite a bit of garden compost and i've got um, some uh, bag of compost as yeah, well so that would i mix be, that together and... that would be fine absolutely fine okay. wendy yeah yeah so thank you very much indeed that's my pleasure my pleasure thick and fast the calls are coming through this morning it's wonderful i'm glad that you're so all so eager to be gardening one one such peachy king gardener is john in Rayleigh. hi john hi there good morning to you hello how can i help well, i've got a couple of questions here one is um it's begonia seeds yes what sort of compost or soil do you put them in to bring them on um, well, begonia seeds, I'm imagining you've already discovered, they're like dust, aren't they? They're absolutely yeah. tiny, yes. Um, so um, they need just a really a, a seed compost as opposed to a multi-purpose compost. So right. it, you might be able to find a seed compost from the larger garden centres. Um, now, seed compost is very finely milled and also it doesn't contain much in the way of nutrients. Whereas if you bought multi-purpose compost, there'd be all sorts of lumps in there. And it would also have some fertiliser added, which actually seeds don't need. Um, it could scorch their roots off. So it's important that you do go for seed compost. OK, now the second question is... Yes. The same thing, I've got a load of uh, begonia plants I bought online. Mm -hmm. What do I feed them? When do, or when do I start feeding them? Oh, right. So are these the tubers or are these little um, little plug plants that you've got or what kind of little thing? Little plug plants. Little plug plants. And are, have you potted them up or are they still in their little plugs? No, they're in pots. They're in pots. Great. And when you potted them up, what kind of compost did you use there, John? High purpose. 
Uh, which one, sorry? I'd be put some topsoil in it. Ah, okay. So this, that, that loam will actually have some nutrients to it. Um, but you could start maybe give it an, another week or so um, and you could then start giving them like a, a liquid fertiliser. And um, with begonias, they... You want to start off with something like liquid grow more. If you've got liquid grow more, that would be great. And then as you get to when they start budding up and and starting to look like they're going to be flowering, switch then to something like a liquid tomato fertiliser, like tomorite or something like that, because that's high potash and that then encourages lots and lots of flowers. Right, right. Last last one of all. Yeah, go for it. I've got a a lemon tree. I've had it for about five years. Yeah. When I bought it, it had five lemons on it. Ever since then, I've never had a single lemon, but this year I've had it in the greenhouse. Yeah. And I've been loading it up with water. Yes. And I've got about, well, I stopped counting, 120 <laughs> blooms. Oh, my Lord, John. That must be in a spectacular sight. I bet it smells good as well, doesn't it? It smells beautiful in the greenhouse. <laughs> so I don't want to come out the house. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. So, are you, what, you want to know what to do next to get, make sure yeah. you get some lemons? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, I think keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> um, citrus plants. Well, I have to say, when you said that, I got a little bit worried because actually citrus plants don't like it to be waterlogged. But then saying that, as you obviously are watering it correctly to make sure that, I'm guessing it's not like sitting in water, because if it was, I don't think it would be that happy. But what you're doing well, it's really is... very happy with it. Yeah, yeah, I would I've keep going. i got it in a big tray. Yeah, and it's, so it is actually sitting in water. Well, honestly, John, I would just keep doing what you're doing, but just be mindful that if they get too too wet, if they get soggy, like like any plant, they will get waterlogged and then the roots can rot off. So just be mindful of that. Um, but, yeah, you might want to consider moving it outside in the, um, uh, what was she saying, same late, going, late May going into June because citrus yeah. actually do like it in nice full sun uh, in the summer. Um, but yeah, for the moment, just keep watering. You can buy a citrus fertilizer as well. We get um, ones that you can apply uh, to uh, encourage flowers as well as fruit. So go to a garden centre and just ask them for that. And yeah, fingers crossed. Okay, let's find out what happens. Thank you very much. That's my pleasure. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. Back to your gardening questions in a moment, but right now on BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, I've got some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden this week. The first is one of my favourites. It's pulling forced rhubarb. Now, not everybody forces rhubarb because it's a bit of a faff, but if you have done, if you've taken time out to do it, then you will now be looking at these really beautiful hot pink stems with yellow leaves at the top. And my goodness, when you eat them, they are so much tastier, I think, than the ones that are grown just in open ground. Um, When you force rhubarb, it makes it a lot sweeter and uh, a lot more tender. There's no stringy bits whatsoever. Um, So what I did a little while ago is covered up some rhubarb with a big pot and put a lid over the top as well so no light came through. And now it's been quite warm. The shoots have come through. Uh, They're now poking out the top of the pot. So if you've been doing the same, harvest them on a regular basis um, and just really enjoy that lovely, delicate flavour. As you know, I'm a really keen veg grower. And I have a confession. Some of my broad beans that I sowed in the autumn 
Oh dear. Uh, well, the mice got one batch, which was a disaster, and then the snow has squashed down my overwintering ones that did actually germinate and um, were about a foot high in the garden by the time the winter came. But yeah, the snow has finished those off. So um, I am going to, because I love broad beans, sow some more. It's not too late to do so. It's been really cold and wet, so I've held back. But now things are warming up. The sun is coming out. So if you can get out there, sow some lovely broad beans and also hardy peas as well. Um, you know, peas straight from the pod are absolutely delicious so it's not too late but you do need to act quickly and get those two crops in the ground now i'll have some more top tips for the next seven days later on in the podcast the bbc essex gardening hour with lucy chamberlain this is bbc essex hi it's lucy chamberlain sitting in for ken crowver this morning on the bbc essex gardening hour please give me a call we've got some people who've done that already hi beverly how's it going Hello, Lucy. Hello. Oh, not bad. Good, um, good, good. I, my question, I've got, I've got three questions. That's quite um, all right. The <laughs> first one is about chitting potatoes. Okay. I've got um, nine, no, 11 uh, potatoes in uh, egg, uh, egg trays. Egg boxes, I'm with you. Yes, I've got some as well. Ledge. Yes, yeah. What I would like to... Oh, and I, I, I don't know whether it's right or wrong. Every now and again, I've been spraying them with water. Um, I've never done that myself, Beverly, so I don't think it's necessary. They look awfully dry. Yeah, they do get a little bit shriveled up and wrinkly, don't they? But don't yes. worry about it. Don't worry yes. about that. Yeah. The other thing is, how tall should I let them get the, the, the shoots get? Well, it's... You want them to stay quite short because when you plant them out, if they're too tall, they snap off, which can be um, detrimental to the yield of your spuds. So um, how tall are they at the moment? Well, the the tallest one is about an inch. Okay, okay, yeah. And can you um, tell me what variety the potatoes are? Are they like first earlies or main crops? They're second earlies, they're uh, Charlotte. Oh, lovely. I do know, Beverly, I've got some of those doing exactly the same thing at home in my porch. (laughs) So you're in good company. Um, Right. What I would also like to know with potatoes, those, Mm. those potatoes, when should I plant them outside? Well, um, I, I'm very. I'm going to annoy everybody now because I'm very lucky. I'm not on Essex clay. I'm on fingering hoe sand, so I've managed to plant some of my potatoes out my first earlies. I grow Lady Crystal as a first early. It's really lovely, and I managed to plant those out with my husband the other weekend. So I have got some in the ground already. But I, as I say, on a really free draining soil. Are you yeah. on? Well, so I, if you're on the clay, I, are you? No. Oh, I've, great. I've got, I have tubs. Ah, um, I see. All, all my plants go in two foot. Um, circular pub, uh, right, right. Well, Beverly, then you have got the heads up that you can actually plant now. You're lucky because those tubs being elevated out of the ground, they're not yeah. going to be waterlogged. And no, the, no, the weather not. now is getting warm enough that we actually can plant our potatoes out with no, you know, worries about the cold weather and burning them off. So, job for the weekend. Right. Okay. <laughs> the other thing, including the potatoes, I yes. grow runner beans. Mm-hmm. But only a few because I'm the only one that likes them. So I wondered if it would work if I planted the potatoes round the edge of the pot, right, the tub, and runner beans, say half a dozen runner beans, in the middle, on um, up yeah, a, I... a tripod. 
I can see where you're coming from, Beverly, but I, I would be concerned that that would be too much going on in one pot. Runner beans yeah. are incredibly vigorous and they take up a lot of moisture. And right. I think that what would happen is that you'd end up with sickly runner bean plants and also potatoes that right. would also okay. have a small yield. No, no. Right. I say a good idea okay. in theory, but I would just have them in separate pots. Okay. And yeah. My last little que well, question, I have a new laburnum tree which i bought last and planted last spring yes it was about four feet tall then mm -hmm. it's now uh, about 11 foot tall with some sun branches off of it and several little straggly shoots right but the problem I, I don't know if it is a problem the birds keep landing on it and eating the buds. Ah, oh, okay. Um, and I don't quite know what to do. There are several shoots that are opening in, into leaves, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I don't know just how much they're going to eat of my tree. Yeah, yeah, hopefully not too much more. Um, yeah, so you often find that finches will feed on buds of um they, no, they, they can be it, quite it, destructive it, in in the orchards and things i know that in the orchards they um often have to put sort of put bird scarers up because the buds when they're swelling up they're full yeah. of nutrients the plant is pumping it, all the goodness there and and great tips yes that yeah i've yeah. seen here yeah um so beverly we need to stop them doing that but at the same time we don't want to harm the birds in any way um no. so what i would is it possible at all to um put some sort of some netting over the tree but you need to ensure that the netting remains nice and tight not sort of yeah. all loose and saggy because the birds could get caught up yeah um, yeah you know fleece would be better actually because the um there's no holes in that and hmm. so the you know the, i'd just be concerned that the bird's feet might get tangled up in the netting so fleece would bypass that completely yeah yeah, yeah. so and it's only needs to be whilst the laburnum is actually leafing up and coming into growth right so really only a couple of weeks yes Perhaps. exactly Maybe exactly a little bit longer yeah and then once it's come into leaf you can take the fleece off because it will um, right. and then allow the bur the uh, laburnum to to sort of come into growth Right. All right. Okay. okay. Thank you very much for your help. That's my pleasure. My pleasure. So Beverly called me on um, the, the new Essex uh, telephone number, which is 0800 111 I'd love you to do the same. We've got a couple of calls waiting for us, and I've also got emails and texts and all sorts to get through this morning. So we've got a busy, busy morning ahead. If you do want to text, the um, number is 81333, and please start your text with the word Essex. But we're going to go straight back to the phones. Ken from Cultures. Ken, is that you? Hello, yeah. Hello. Um, I'm involved in some voluntary work in a cemetery in the east end of London. Um, we're trying to uh, tidy up a bit. We need to put in some bushes, preferably with some brightish coloured flowers on to brighten the place up. Lovely. Um, but the trouble is, as it's in the east end of London, we can't get down there very often, so it gets neglected. Right. Um, we had some bushes planted professionally, cost a fortune, two years ago, and they all died off last year in the hot weather. We had about a month of hot weather, didn't we? Oh. And what a they shame. all got killed off. So yeah. Can you suggest something that can manage without water? I mean, we've got some roses there that are 20 years old. And right. they'll take anything, you know, frost, <laughs> freeze, water, anything. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing, Ken. it takes a while Ken. for them to bed in, doesn't it? It does. That's exactly it. You've, you've hit the nail on the head there. Because the, the root system of the roses is very mature and extensive, that's going to... Um, 
encourage them to be more resilient in the dry weather. So um, what you've got to do, as you say, is, is either start with plants that you can put uh, you know, water and put some mulch around to protect them or choose plants that are incredibly robust and actually very drought tolerant. So is, is drought the main problem, Ken? Is, is it that you, or I mean, is the soil there quite dry as well in the summer? Um, I don't really know. It's, um, <laughs> as I say, it's a cemetery in the East End um, yeah. and the owners don't do anything to maintain it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's really down to us to look after this particular area. Yeah. I, mean, I won't go into all the details, no, but, no, you know, no. this particular area is something that we're looking after rather than, than the owners. And I'm it really you. does get left in the yes. summer. Yeah. Um, so there's two things that spring to mind, Ken. I would suggest plants that are dormant in the summer so that What's when... That? Plants that are dormant in the summer, so yeah. that uh, when that hot weather's baking down and the other plants will be, you know, drying out and, and dying off, these plants are slumbering. And those plants are spring bulbs. So mm. spring bulbs would be fantastic to put in in the autumn because they, like I say, flower in the spring, do all their growing then. And then when the summer is, is you know, in full swing and you can't be there to water, they'll be dying, mm. died back, dormant in the soil and perfectly happy left there on their own. So that would be one suggestion. Um, I'd also think about drought-resistant plants. So um, things such as, you know, the, su the succulent plants such as agaves, and then you've got more um, grey leaf plants such as lavender. Um, there's, there's just a couple of examples. Um, there's an awful lot of drought-resistant plants. Sea holly, uh, sea lavender, all those sorts of things would be very happy um, planted quite small don't go for large plants go for smaller ones because they will need uh, less watering to settle in um, and things like there's some grasses also that are drought resistant it might be worth ken taking a trip to somewhere like hyde hall because they have a, a gravel garden it's at southwood and ferris it's a beautiful garden have you been there before oh um, yeah um, we're, we're booked up to go there for oh. um some something in a few weeks time oh, um, great. i don't know what it is my partners arranged it all but we're yeah. definitely going down there so they right. have um a, a advice place do they um well they not so much that but there's there's um they have a gravel garden on the top of the hill now they are on clay and the gravel garden is a, a fantastic showcase for plants that are completely low maintenance they don't need much much in the way of water at all they're just left to their own devices mm. so um you could go along there uh, there's a massive collection of all different types of shapes and forms um and uh, and they're all labeled up so you could just have a look and see which ones are you know are something that's suitable for you but they're all right, drought-resistant. Drought so I say spring bulbs, drought-resistant plants. Thank you very much indeed. That's my pleasure. Um, right, uh, I'd love you to give me a call. We're halfway through the morning already. We're racing through some all sorts of gardening questions. So please, you know, if you're, if you're thinking that um, it's suddenly getting sunny and you haven't been out in the garden all winter and you need to get uh, get busy with some jobs then uh, now is the time to give me a call and I can help you through that that process it's 0800 4041 um, we've got a call from Alex in Burnham now hi Alex oh, how can I help uh, good morning Lucy um, two questions um, I'm a bit of worried or frightened of going in the garden at the moment because the sky appears to be on fire and there's a strange this sort of golden ball in it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, seriously, um, we've got, um, be, they're quite short questions. Um, we've got a greenhouse and yeah. some years ago we put in uh, a rose, a climber rose, 
it's um I don't know what species it is, mm-hmm. but um it's got very long and straggly going over the top. Is it too late to cut it back? Do you know, Alex, I don't think it is. I have been pruning roses. I, I'm I'm head gardener at East Donnellan Hall in Fingeringhoe and it's got some fantastic roses in the garden there, some really mature climbers and ramblers against the walls. And I've been pruning since November, uh, but I'm still, because there's so many of them and there's other jobs to do, I'm still pruning now. So it's not too late. And as you say, you know, if your climber is, is getting a bit straggly, then as long as it's healthy, you can prune these plants back really quite severely and they will come back. It's it's always a bit of a um, a leap of faith when you cut into a rose and you sometimes you can't even see any shoots at the base. But trust me, they will as long as it's healthy, they will bud up. So a, it's, friend, a yeah. friend of ours, he used to cut them back every November or October, and he had a wonderful display. But I thought perhaps I'd have killed it off or uh, you know uh, stunted its stunted its growth. Yeah, no, um, I think that. As I say, the roses that I've been pruning in the autumn, they will flower actually earlier than the ones I'm now pruning in the spring, just because they've had a chance to, to grow through. And there's there's no risk of, you know, frost burning them back. They, they've, we've had such a cold winter. And I thought, yeah. well, if, if they are going to get burnt back by me pruning them early, now is, this is the year it's going to happen. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, nothing's the, happened at all. The so. other question was, um, because we're in our 80s, we have a gardener come up and in these tubs, big tubs, uh, rather late in the about, oh, about a couple of months ago, two or three months ago, uh, they put in these daffodil bulbs. Right. Now they're coming through eventually. Um, I didn't think they would flower at this late, but when they're finished, do you, mm-hmm. you you turn them over, do you, or something when they finish flowering and leave them in in situ? Um, yeah, you want to leave them in um, in situ, as you say, because um, once a bulb has flowered, it still has a lot of leaves on there. And th- those leaves are really important uh, because they allow the bulb to bulk up and then flower properly next year. Um, some people get a little bit too impatient and they cut the leaves off or they um, dry the bulbs out. Uh, don't do that. Uh, a bulb needs a minimum of sort of two months after it's flowered to still stay in leaf. And then those leaves, as I say, will feed and, and bulk up the bulb ready to flower next year. Do you, do you loop them over or tie them with some hat, something or other? No, no, don't, you don't need to do anything like that, Alex. Just let them grow as nature intended. Thanks very much for your help, <laughs> right. Lucy. My pleasure, my pleasure. OK, lovely to speak to you. I'm going to go to a, a text quickly here. Um, we've got S- Suzanne in Pitsy. She's texted me on 81333. Starting her, word, uh, her message with the word Essex, she says she's got a lawn with a slight dip. Water has laid in the dip for most of the winter. What can be done? Oh, Suzanne, yeah, I don't reckon you're alone there. It's been a very, very wet time for most of us here. Um, You could either make a pond if you wanted to. That might be one option. Or um, if you want to obviously try and um, remedy the dip, then that's something I would do now. Um, You need to wait for that water to drain away before you get on the ground. Otherwise, you could damage it by um, compacting the soil even further. So don't ever work on soil when it's waterlogged or soggy. Uh, Wait for the ground to dry out. Fingers crossed we've got some sunny weather coming up. And so I'm hoping that in the next week or so, as uh, Alex said on the last call just now, there is this thing in the sky that's coming out and it's actually called the sun. So fingers crossed things will dry out. Wait for that to happen. And then I imagine again that the grass in that area will have died off. So um, it's just a case now of remedying that dip because that's what was causing the water to collect. So 
um, slice off any of the dead turf and then get some good quality topsoil in and uh, make it so that the dip has completely disappeared. Just fill in that, that, uh, that so it's nice and level. And then you could either turf the area if you want to uh, make sure it looks nice and green very quickly or if you're on a bit more of a budget because turf can cost some money uh, then just sow some grass seed um, and again you know this is the perfect time to get grass seed sown so that would be my my two options for you there the bbc essex gardening hour with lucy chamberlain this is bbc essex Right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, I've got some more top tips. The first one being look after your propagator. Oh, um, I have to say at this time of year, it's quite difficult to get the temperature in your propagator correct. I've got two. I've got one at home and one where I look after some plants at East Dunedin Hall. And because I'm not at the hall every day, I've been sowing mine in the one at home. And then once they've germinated, they've got through that tricky stage. Then I've been moving them to the propagator at Dunedin Hall. But the weather, when it's overcast, the temperature is really easy to manage. The seedlings don't dry out at all. But as soon as the sun comes out, I've gone in there and found that the temperature's risen to 30, 35 degrees. One day it was 40 degrees, which is um, a bit alarming because any seedling exposed to that temperature for a long length of time is going to suffer and probably die. So just to say, if you've got your propagator on the go at the minute, the sun is now coming out a bit more, thank goodness, but just make sure that you monitor that. Keep an eye on the temperature, have a maximum thermometer there all the time and if it does get hot fling open the top of the propagator open your greenhouse door um, and what I do is put some shade netting over the propagator because the seedlings will still be vulnerable to sun scorch so just ensure that they don't get scorched off a more relaxing job um, rather than monitoring the propagator for casualties is to get into your garden and lift and divide some plants. I love doing this because it means that you can uh, propagate plants for free. Uh, we've got a plant sale coming up at East Donnellan Hall, um, May the 20th if you want to go, uh, and um, I've been propagating a lot of plants for that. But you can do this and then give plants to your friends for free or you can just bulk up uh, plants for your garden. What I'm looking at at the moment is things like the herbaceous perennials so we've got rudbeckias um i've got alstroemeria uh, monada um, all sorts of things uh, if you see the, the shoots of these hardy perennials coming through the earth now and the clumps getting a bit too big just literally go in there with a spade slice them into pieces lift them pot them up or put them in the new bed in the garden and uh, with a bit of water and a bit of uh, warmth they'll be romping away BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. Hi, it's Lucy Chamberlain sitting in for Ken Crowther. Um, I'd love to take your calls this morning. We've had loads so far. I'm really thrilled that you're all out there gardening. The sun has come out. Uh, the things are warming up. Thank goodness we've put that wet weather behind us. So, yeah, it's um, it's a busy, busy time of year. Um, we're going to move straight on to the calls. We've got Marion in Leon C. Hi, Marion. How can I help? Hello, Lucy. Um, Hello. So I've got a query on a couple of plants. Um, I grow amaryllis each year and um, indoors and, um, you know, ones you get from the supermarket, nice yes. big bulbs and everything. Beautiful. And I grow them beautifully with the lovely, come out lovely flowers, but I don't never know quite how to get them to come the next year. Um, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yes. I mean, at the yeah. moment I've grown three and... The two that have flowered already um, have got like six leaves on, beautiful green leaves. 
Mm-hmm. Do I feed now? Yeah. Um, I was mentioning to the previous caller the importance of ensuring that bulbs are well fed in order for them to flower next year. And it's also important to keep them well watered, Marion, because if yeah, they dry doing, out... Yeah. yeah, that's perfect. If If any bulb dries out too quickly after it's flowered... The leaves, which are its powerhouse, they won't. They will die back, so they won't be able to allow the bulb to bulk up in size and store nutrients in order to flower for next year. So keep it well watered, and also, as you say, apply some kind of liquid feed. Now it could be liquid grow more, or it could be um, which has, so grow more is quite good for leaf growth. Um, is baby bio too much of a houseplant for it? No, um, baby bio is again quite a high nitrogen feed, and what you're wanting to do in this case is actually encourage lots of leaves to form. Um, so yeah, baby bio would be absolutely okay, fine yeah. in the next example. Right. Yeah, and keep doing that. So when did the amaryllis finish flowering? Just to give us an idea. Um, well, to, um, one's been fin- finished about a month, um, and. Uh, and I planted them different times to try and get them to flower different times. Um, one's uh, just finished now, yeah. and um, I've still got the um, stem on it, but I wait till that dies down as usual. Yes, yeah. I t- cut the flowers off, but I let the stem die down. And, and they're beautiful leaves, you know, and, and I've, I've always kind of put it out in the greenhouse and let it get on with itself, you know what I mean? Yes. So I've obviously got to water it more like a... Like the bulbs in the garden. Exactly. Yeah, and like I say, let it, you've got to let it bulk up. So if they've only just finished flowering, keep doing that for a good couple of months, Marion. Right. And, and then, then in the... Dry them. Then, then, exactly that. Then in sort of like the, the late... Probably be by midsummer by then, you start gradually drying them off and then you yeah. give them a dormant period and then you bring them back into growth in the autumn going into winter ready for a nice Christmas display. That's the plan. So do you leave them in the pot and the soil that they're in or do you... Take them out of that. When you dry them off, you can actually then knock them out of that compost. And it's so you start off with the bulb start, like you do when you buy it. Yeah. Exactly. So then yeah. you start with fresh compost, which will have lots of nutrients in it and will be able to sustain and feed okay, the bulb. I'll give that a go. All right. Uh, and the other plant is a clivia. Yep. And um, I've had it about five or six years. A friend gave me one when she split it. Mm-hmm. And I've got it in a um, about a six-inch pot at the moment across. And it's got four stems on it but it's never flowered right give me an idea to get it to flower i know they like to be tight in the pot yeah exactly this is this is is now one of the main things so um like you say you've you've obviously got it so it's like you say quite tightly packed into the pot if they're put into a a pot and they've got loads of root space then often they just produce loads of leaves and no flowers but you've got to the point where it should be flowering is it in a shady site or in the sun Um, i have got it in a hall which is a bit darker yes yes yeah i mean they actually are quite happy in a shadier site so again you're doing the right thing there i think all you can do marion is feed it with a high potash for liquid fertilizer so something like tomato food yeah rather so if you've been using baby baby bio uh don't use yet that use a high potash tomato fertilizer and that should encourage it to flower okay lovely all right my pleasure my pleasure. Um, I've had someone uh, just, we had a call really early, I think it was the first call of the morning actually, someone who'd got a, um, a weed rampaging through their garden and they described it as a sort of like a fern-like leaf or, or like a with a, a red colour. And someone said, is it Herb Robert and not an Oxalis? Well, 
I tell you what, it might well have been. So um, if, if it was, it, the treatment would still be the same. It would still be applying glyphosate, which is Roundup or Tumbleweed. But yes, it may well have been her brother. I'm going to move on to our next caller, who's Midge in Romford. Hello, Midge. Good morning, my dear. Hello. How are you? All right? I, I'm very well. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, yes. I've just been out, put me washing out. Oh, um, <laughs> it's a good day for it, isn't it, Mitch? <laughs> it is, yes. Um, what, what I rang up was, um, I, in our club, they were sort of having a plant sale, mm-hmm. and there was a whole pot of succulents. So I bought those, because I quite like them. Lovely. I don't like cactus, but I like succulents. But anyway, yes. yeah. cut a long story short, I split them up, because they were crammed, you know, thing. And, um, and I put them in composty stuff. Can I leave them outside or do they have to be indoors? Um, well, I would say as a, to, to be safe, I, I think that the succulents would be best indoors. Oh, Although right. saying that, it depends because you bought, do you know what they are? If you bought them from like a plant sale, they could be something that's actually maybe hardy, but someone's just growing them as a succulent, as a pot plant. So it's yeah. it's difficult they're, they're, to say. They're, they're growing up quite tall. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, the, the tallest one is about six inches tall, and it's like in points, they're in points, and I they've see. got like a, a, a pale green stripe on them. It might be. Ah, oh, OK. It sounds more like something like... Um, an aloe or an agave. Now, both of those it's really... Because I've got an aloe, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's thicker than the aloe. I'm with you. Yeah, so it's something along those lines. Now, yeah. those those sorts of, like, rosetti plants that, like you say, they have sort of points at their tip. Yeah, they're um, very, very yeah. sort of... It's sharp if you touch yes. them. Yes, you know? yeah, they are. Yeah, mind your fingers and mind your eyes when you're repotting them, <laughs> definitely. Oh, right. Yeah, oh, right. but, um, but, yeah, those are not hardy, so... If you wanted to, you could have them outside in the summer. So we're going yes. from, say, maybe late May into June, have I them outside see. until the end of August. Oh, but then right. bring I them see, back yeah. indoors for the winter because it sounds like they're not and the hardy about, types. Um, do you have to feed them? Or, you know, like hearing that lady say the baby bio, mm. um, the, um, the plant shop up the road's open that sells all those sort of things. I could shoot up there and get anything if you can suggest it. Fantastic. Um, I wouldn't go for baby bio, but you could go for something that's... Um, more baby bio can be quite high nitrogen that's all i'm saying oh, so yeah. or you, you could use it but just use it at a lower rate yeah. succulents don't want a high nitrogen feed because it makes them soft and sappy and vulnerable oh, to rotting see, yeah. but like a general fertilizer um i actually i always have in my garden shed i have um a, a bottle of liquid tomato fertilizer for my flowering plants oh, and then right, for yeah. my for my non-flowering plants like your succulents i have a bottle of liquid grow more which is oh, well right. yeah and it's perfect yeah. stuff it's it's well balanced it's not high in nitrogen it's got some mm-hmm. nitrogen in it but i always use uh liquid grow more for those sorts of situations so that's what i get yourself Midge, a, a bottle of that and then just mm-hmm. uh, apply that to your succulents every fortnight or so Every two weeks. All right. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks ever so much for your help. That's my I pleasure. I now get on my scooter and go oh. out the road and get stuck. What a fantastic mental image you've created for us all, Midge. That's brilliant. <laughs> you have a fantastic morning, OK? Thank you very much for your help. Uh, OK, Bye. take care. Take care. Um, we've got some more calls to get through um, and we've got 15 minutes left on the show. So if you do want to give me a call, please do so now. And we'll, 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 we'd love to speak to you. Uh, the number again, it's 0800 111 and um, we have Margaret from... Ah, oh, Margaret, we lost you and now we've got you back again. Thank yes. goodness for that. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, my utopus is warmed. I knew where it is here. Um, I have a lemon tree, which was given to me as a present. Mm-hmm. It's in the conservatory. Um, it looks fairly healthy, but I think it might be getting a bit too big for the pot. 
Right. So what sort of soil should I put in? The soil that is in it looks very sandy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so citrus are a plant that um, they really like a compost that's got some kind of loam in it, if you can. Now, loam is things like the John Innes number two or number three. But saying that, what I would do, Margaret, is I would also then mix in with that something like um, either some multi-purpose compost or some ericaceous compost um, because the loam um, they like it slightly acidic so it's not crucial but at the same time if you if you're wanting to then that would be something worth worth purchasing or if that sounds like too much hassle you can often buy specialist citrus composts so the larger garden centers might well sell that for you but if you can't find it as I say I would do a 50-50 mix of something like John Innes, number two or number three, and either multi-purpose compost or ericaceous compost. Oh, not all ericaceous, that'd be too acid. No, no, like I said, they're not like a blueberry that really demands an ericaceous yeah. feed. But if you've got the option to pot it up and use and use the, the kind of compost that it prefers, then I say 50-50 John Innes and ericaceous would be perfect. And also, don't forget that you can get some specialist citrus fertilisers. Citrus yes, tend to be... One. Oh, perfect, perfect. So how are you using that at the moment? Yes. I've now got one, two, three, four lemons on, yeah. and it looks like five are coming. Oh, fantastic. So gin and tonics o'clock in the summer, is that what they're... Sorry? <laughs> gin and tonic o'clock in the summer, that would be lovely. Or is it going to yes. be le lemon meringue pie? Yes. Well, thank you very much indeed. Thank oh, that's my pleasure. That's my pleasure. Lovely to speak to you. Um, I'm just going to very quickly mention that um, Simon in Southend says that regarding dry plants, we had a call earlier on of someone who wanted to look out, have plants that looked after themselves in the cemetery uh, and they needed to be drought resistant. He's mentioned, as I should have done as well, the Beth Chateau Gardens, it's just down the road from me in Elmstead Market, it's got a beautiful dry garden. And uh, yeah, so Simon, thank you very much for pointing that out. It's well worth a visit too. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. This is BBC Essex. your calls, text and emails shortly, but let's take a final look at the top tips for this week. One of my favourite jobs in the winter, because I can be quite destructive sometimes, is pruning. I absolutely adore it. Um, but the time for winter pruning has now uh, really come to a close. If you want to get the pruning done for, say, apples, pears, deciduous shrubs, and you haven't done so yet, get out there now because they'll be leafing up before your eyes. And um, it's not harmful to the shrub to be pruned at that time. But what you're doing is you're losing growing energy that the plant is now putting into leaves. And when you're pruning, you want to really focus the growing energy into what you want the plant to do. Um, so, yeah, get out there with your secateurs, loppers and pruning saw and maybe some goggles and uh, just finish off any winter pruning you need to do. I'm mentioning again that the temperature is rising which is fantastic but aphids and other pests also love this opportunity to really start focusing on the growing points that your plants are putting forward all these lovely tight buds and leaves are pumped full of nutrients the plant is really trying to focus its growing energy on all those new shoots the aphids know this and they feed uh, really voraciously on growing tips as soon as they start coming into life so um 
just take a look at your plants, especially some that are in the greenhouse or in the polytunnel. They're obviously a bit warmer there and the aphids will congregate under glass and in the, in the polytunnel much more than they will outside. Um, if you see any on the growing points, you can use a fatty acid-based spray or rapeseed oil-based spray. These are both organic and they will very quickly uh, control those pests. So, but just keep an eye on things. Now, straight back to your gardening questions. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. Eileen, you're in Clacton. What's the weather like in Clacton? Is it nice and sunny uh, there? Quite nice, yes. Good, good, good. Marvellous. washing on the line. <laughs> good girl, well done. I should do that when I get home. But in the meantime, I can see you've got a, an agapanthus, is that right? An agapanthus, yes. I brought it with me when I moved about 25 years ago. Um, it was only a small plant. It is very, very large now, and I would really love to split it up. Yes, yeah. Um, is it starting to show signs of growth yet, or is it still sleeping? It still looks quite sleepy at the moment. Great, great. Well, then, Eileen, I think you've got the green light to go in there and split it up. You can either split them in the autumn or the spring, and because the spring has been late this year, that's going in your favour. So you can actually get in there now and, right. um, and split it up. Now, what I would do, Eileen, is don't split it into too small a clump because no. agapanthus do like to be quite congested yeah. to flower well. Not, not completely tight. It is actually tight. in the ground. Would it be better in a pot? No, not at all if no, it's in the ground. No. Um, no, if you... that. I've got a friend that wants a clump, oh. you see. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, how nice that you can, you can spread it all around. Yeah, um, well, that's the idea. And I'm yeah. trying to keep saying, when can you split it up? I said, I don't know. And then I just said, I know what, I'll bring the gardening programme. <laughs> <laughs> well, i tell you what, Eileen, you can invite her around for a cup of tea this afternoon and present her with a lovely clump of agapanthus because now is the time to do it. Um, yeah. So say, just don't go into too small because no. um, you'll. If you keep it a decent sized clump, it will flower better. If the temptation is to sort of split it and then split it again and split it again because you think, oh, I can get eight plants out of this one thing. Yeah. But actually, yeah. if you do that, then you'll really limit the flowering of the agapanthus. So just split it into half it or just quarter. Has such lovely big flowers on it, you know. Oh, it's, gorgeous. It's really, well, it was my father's originally. Yeah. I? Oh, so it's sentimental as well. Bring it with me. Yeah, so, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I've got a couple in pots at home, and then when they flower they are absolutely stunning really they really are. nice yeah. so yeah yeah but as i say it's a, j a job for this weekend if you fancy it right okay <laughs> right. i think i might have a job to get the fork in the ground <laughs> yeah maybe wait till I it's dried I out a bit need a man at the job <laughs> <laughs> I, we'll, we'll put a call out for you calling all men in clacton <laughs> go and see eileen <laughs> with your spade <laughs> yeah oh lovely well it's like okay. i say it's great yeah, to speak to you that's my pleasure okay um pam in chelmsford how can i help Oh, hello. Hi there. I was given two very small olive trees um, at Christmas time. They're in little pots, and we've been watering them very sparingly mm -hmm. about giving them some water. Um, but the thing is, um, would it be a good idea to, um, now Springs here, to repot them in um, uh, a bit of, perhaps bigger pots? Obviously, water them. They're in the conservatory, I should say, at the moment, right. which right. has been pretty chilly, but is now warming up <laughs> yes. quite a lot. Good, good, um, good. So I'd obviously water them more, I would think, but I don't know whether I should be repotting them. Yeah, um, so olives, they, um, they like quite a free-draining soil, and one that's quite... It doesn't have to be very rich. It can be something like a, a mixture of maybe something like John Inner's number two uh, with some grit, so maybe 50-50 
John Lennon's number two and and some sharp grit because they don't need it very rich and they actually prefer the free drainage as well because sometimes if they get waterlogged, especially in the winter, that can cause them problems. You say yours have been in the, the conservatory, which is great, so that's protected them from the rather harsh winter we've had. Um, and yeah, if you want to repot them, I would do so now, sooner rather than later if you can. Um, and yeah, that is what I would use. Right, okay. And then presumably when an all, all frost um, is, is over, um, yeah. put them out in the garden? Yes, you can do. I mean, I, I have an olive tree, Pam, that uh, it's in a pot and it's against a sheltered wall in my garden and it's been there all winter. So in that sense, olives are relatively hardy but if you've had yours indoors then obviously they've been a bit protected so you need to just gently move them outside um and uh yeah that would that would uh, if you can get them outside maybe in the next couple of weeks or so that would be fine all right right okay thanks very much that's my pleasure my pleasure um we've got tony in stanford la hope he sent me a text which is eight one triple three He's growing a conker tree in a pot it's quite large now where best would it be to plant it Tony, um, I should give you the heads up straight away that conkers, um, horse chestnuts, can ultimately get to a rather sizable tree. So if you've got a large garden, if you've got like a you know, rolling acres, absolutely fine. You can pop it in your garden, give it plenty of space. Um, if you've got a smaller plot, uh, I would be tempted to either, you could for fun, keep it in the pot and keep it like a bonsai. Uh, that keeping it in the pot will keep it actually quite small. It will limit its root space and actually keep it quite compact. Alternatively, you might want to think about um, maybe donating it to someone who's got some space. So maybe like the local parks, something along those lines. Or if there's a school and they've got a playing field, they might want to have a lovely conker tree there. Um, they, you know, the kids can play conkers in the autumn. Uh, so they could have the space to allow it to get to the size that it will will do. Um, ultimately, they do get to, oh gosh, we're talking about sort of 60 foot tall, about 40, 50 foot wide, if not more. So just to give you the heads up, that's that's the size. Um, I just want to speak to Rob. Um, he sent me a text and I don't blame you, Rob. Did I say that? I, <laughs> apparently I said you don't use baby bio for houseplants. If I did, I apologise. What I was doing, I was speaking to a lady who had a succulent. And what I was trying to explain to her there is that baby bio being quite high nitrogen isn't as suitable as something like liquid grow more, which is more balanced for her succulent plant. Because if you feed succulents too much nitrogen... They can get soft and sappy and they can rot off. So that's what I was talking about, Rob. If there's any confusion there, I do apologise. Um, right, we're going to move straight on to Ken from Harold Wood. Hi, Ken. How can I Hello help there. you? Um, Hello. On the garden centre, a Spanish bonsai olive tree. It's about five foot high. Mm -hmm. It's five-inch diameter trunk and it's in a 45-litre pot. Um, it seems to have overwintered all right in the garden, but I notice now on the edge of the green leaves it looks like most of them have been eaten all oh, right sticky tape stuff you put around the trunk mm -hmm. and i went to the garden center and they said it could be vine weevil which i was some stuff for but it yeah. says you don't use it to june onwards so i mean is there anything i can do now or just leave it till then and spray it all in june yeah uh, well can uh, let's let's think so vine weevil gives you quite specific 
damage to the leaves. It's like literally like little notches are being taken out from the edge of the leaves. So is that the symptoms yeah, that you've got? That's exactly what it is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would, rather than um, in this instance wait till June, um, I would actually apply the um, the vine weevil treatment now. Um, because what vine weevil grubs will be doing, uh, the, the notches in the leaves is caused by the adults. Uh, they're like a beetle, but they're just called a weevil, slightly different. Um, but essentially what they do is they bite notches out of the leaves. They don't do so much harm themselves. It's their babies, their larvae, which will often be in the compost that will eat away at the roots of your olive tree and ultimately can cause it to dwindle and die. Now, because that's quite crucial, I would be tempted to apply your vine weevil treatment now. Great, yeah, I'll go out there and do it now then. Lovely, thank perfect, you very much. Perfect, my pleasure. Good luck with that. Um, we can move straight on to Sharon in Whitham. Hi, Sharon. You've got some onions. Good, yes, good morning, Lucy. Hello. Um, we've bought some Kelsey onions, um, mm -hmm. sort of the bare-rooted ones that come by the post. Yes. We planted them, oh, I suppose, about a week ago, approximately. Yeah. I've had, a, I've had a distress call from my husband at the allotment who said something has eaten them right the way down. Oh, no. What Are a shame. Are they gone? Um, or do well, you think that because there's a bit of root in there that we may get something, or do you think we're um, wishful thinking? <laughs> I, I think, Sharon, that there, it might have been something like a, a rabbit nibbling away at the shoot. Yes, yeah. we're putting up rabbit fencing, fencing yeah. at the moment, yes. Yeah. Um, now, if the bulb of the onion is still intact, as well as the root system, then you're going to be fine. That's the good news. So because the bulb has got, it's a, a mass storage organ that will have lots of energy in there. And um, even though the leaves have been eaten, the bulb should be able to regenerate from the base and, uh, and produce some more leaves. If there's no bulb there, then, yeah, yeah, yeah then it might be that you've actually lost the, the, yeah. the onions. I don't so. think there was a bulb, Lucy. I think oh. that they were, they were just sort of... Really devoured. Rooted. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a shame. What a shame. Because Kelsey's are, are really good onions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor man. Do you know what you need to do, Sharon? Is cook, cook him steak and chips for tea tonight. <laughs> something you know, something nice like that. Got steak and <laughs> <chips for> tea. <laughs> Hopefully that might cheer him up ever so slightly. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sorry. Do you to... think that's it, do you? I do. I'm sadly, if the bulbs have gone, I do think that's it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank sorry you about very that. Much. Thank okay. You. Okay. okay. Um, my pleasure. I've had um, a text come through. Uh, I'm gonna. This is from Hilary. Uh, she's grown some tomatoes, potted them up in peat pots, and kept them watered by standing them in water in a seed tray. I've noticed this morning that there is a bloom on the outside of the pots, which looks like it could be mold. Will this harm the plant? Hilary, I've got some good news for you. It's uh, a negative. No, that's not going to harm the plants because you've got peat pots. What's happening there is that the um, the pots themselves are just soaking up moisture and um, in that um, situation, then you can get, sometimes get little surface moulds and algae and things like that growing on the pots. So don't worry at all. Uh, maybe um, with peat pots, you've got to be careful that they don't dry out too much. So keep them well watered as you are doing. And uh, yeah, no worries at all there um, with, uh, with the mould. And just quickly as well, um, I've got another question on agapanthus. If you split them up, what type of compost would you use? Uh, Hazel's texted me and uh, she pulled over and, and texted because she's travelling at the minute. So, Hazel, um, oh, she said, thank you for a most helpful and interesting programme. Hazel, that's very very kind of you and my pleasure. Uh, if you're going to divide your agapanthus, then I would use, uh, they like, they're quite hungry feeders. So you want a, like a multi-purpose compost that has some nutrients added to it 
as well. And there's a lot of garden centres that will sell these combined compost now with nutrients added too. So that's what I go for. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. BBC Essex. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go via our website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. Next week, Ken will be back to answer all your gardening questions. So if you've got one, why not give him a call on 0800 111 and be part of the programme every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. This is BBC Essex.